I don't mind laughing. I don't mind smiling. And sometimes I find that what brings a smile to my face faster than anything else is watching my 10-month-old get surprised. You know, babies give really cool faces when they are surprised. I want to show you just a few that I pulled off of Google. Take a look at that. Like, I feel like we could end the sermon with that, you know, like a, a positive note. Uh, babies, when they experience the unexpected, can give you a really, really funny face. And it just makes you smile. I don't know how you look at that and don't smile. Like, you're a curmudgeon if you're looking at that and not smiling. I see you in the back. Um, so, I'm not really pointing at Cookie, really. I'm not. Um, so... So we love, we love watching a baby experience the unexpected because of how, how much joy can come to their face. It gets me thinking about when you and I experience the unexpected. And it happens that the story we're going to walk into today in the Gospel of Mark, we experience the unexpected. But we have to be looking for it. We've got to be looking for that unexpected. So we're going to take a journey into a small story that comes right on the heels of our passage last week where Jesus had a lot to say about what is clean and unclean. So walk with me, Mark chapter 7. We're in Mark chapter 7. We're picking up with verse 24. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, a small story of the unexpected. We read there, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. But he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive, out, uh, drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he, said, he told her, for such a reply, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. For such a reply, a reply full of faith. So Jesus here is heading to an area we typically don't find him in all of the Gospels. Tyre is quite north, quite north of Galilee on the coast. He has he gone well outside of the Jewish nation at this point. He is, he is moving to the far reaches, the far northern reaches of Palestine. You don't find many Jews in this area. And here Jesus goes to be alone. And that just doesn't work because people still hear that he is there and they come to him. And now we see this woman, this woman come to him, this non-Jewish woman come to him. This woman is, is not of Jewish ethnicity. She's not like she would have been going to synagogue regularly. But she hears about Jesus and she, and she forces her way to see him. Now, we know from other accounts with the disciples, they probably were at some, at some point in this interaction trying to get her away because Jesus wants to be alone. But this non-Jewish woman shows up. Now, at the top layer of this story, top layer of this story, we immediately should notice 
that it's coming right on the heels of Jesus talking about what is clean and unclean. And, and the Pharisees had set up a system of rules that set up walls so that some people were in on God's love and some people were out. Now, this woman, not only was she a woman, she was a non-Jewish woman. So she was far outside the boundaries of God's love. And Jesus here breaks that wall, breaks down that wall, and accepts her in. One scholar notes how important it is to see this story of this woman tied to what Jesus had just said. Let me just remind us what Jesus had just said. Take a look. We're just going to go backwards in chapter 7 to, to remind us. Jesus had said at that point, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is backwards from the way we typically think. And the Pharisees would have been very clear that all those things are coming from the outside. Something external has come, has, has impinged, has, been, has, uh, has moved in such a way that a person has turned into all those things. But Jesus says, that, well, they're coming from the inside. And so he's beginning to take walls down. One scholar says this about what Jesus is doing to connect those two passages. He says this, What Jesus did was seen by the disciples and written up by Mark as a sign that he had meant what he'd said about cleanness and uncleanness. The old barriers, the old taboos were being swept away. The dogs under the table were already sharing the children's bread. Pretty soon, they would cease to be dogs and become children alongside the others. For the Pharisees, this woman would be a dog. She'd been on the outside, and you don't feed dogs food from the table. But this woman doesn't leave it there. She keeps pressing because she sees something about the kingdom of God. She sees something about Jesus and knows that even the message of Jesus is available for her who is considered a dog by many of the religious leaders. And it's that statement of faith that then brings that woman inside the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, even you, yeah, even you get to eat. And one day they will all get to eat in the kingdom, Jew and non-Jew alike. So this woman sees something not many people are seeing. So I want you to notice right here on that top layer of the story, that Mark has put this story right up against our previous passage on purpose to illustrate a point. Now, if we go just kind of dig just a little deeper underneath, Mark here is continuing to develop a theme that he's already been developing. He's already been developing this theme, but now I want to bring it out so we all can see it. This is the theme. He's been developing. He'll continue to develop. Unexpected people understood Jesus the most. The people you would least expect to understand Jesus are the very ones who understand him. And that's something we need to really under, see at this point. So what we're going to do is do a little bit of a tour backwards and watch how this has played out up to chapter 7. Take a look. Take a look at this. I'm just going to list some of these. A man with leprosy said, you can make me clean. That's what he says to Jesus. You know a man with leprosy, he's an outcast. Yet he sees Jesus for who he is. A group of men. They're not even named. They don't even get the dignity of a name. 
Just a group of men, they're the ones that carried their paralyzed friend and had faith. A man healed of demon possession told everyone about Jesus. This is the man, outcast, living among the graves. He's the one that gets it and goes, tell, and, goes and tells everyone about Jesus. An unclean woman with chronic bleeding had great faith. A woman with this kind of bleeding, by the way, wouldn't have been allowed at church. She'd been left on the outside. And yet she's the one who has great faith, an unnamed woman. And then here in chapter 7, a non-Jewish woman saw the global scope of God's kingdom and responded in faith. A leper, unnamed group of men, a man full of demons, an unclean woman, and a non-Jewish woman. In these first seven chapters, we've seen some unexpected people who understand Jesus. This is a kingdom turned upside down. So what strikes me on the flip side of this is Mark wants to make sure that we understand the reverse. So let me say it in a sentence, and then let's just watch those examples roll through those chapters. Take a look. The religious leaders, as well as Jesus' family, his hometown, and his disciples, all the people you'd expect to figure this out, they were most often the ones who misunderstood and mistrusted Jesus. You would think that Jesus' disciples would get it. You would think the people who had seminary degrees would get it. Now, I do get it with a seminary degree. They happen to not have gotten it. I just want to make sure we understand ourselves here, that I'm not trying to cut my knees out from under me. But... But it's the people with all the religious education. It's the people who go to synagogue all the time. It's the people who read their Bibles day after day. It's the people who grew up with Jesus. It's his own family. All the people that you would expect to get it. They're the ones who are most often described as misunderstanding and mistrusting Jesus. Now, I just want the weight, I want the weight of the story to hit us on this. So take a look at all the examples we've already seen as we've walked through Mark. Take a look. The teachers of the law. These are the, these are the ones you'd be putting, these are the ones you'd be putting in Sunday school. These are the ones with some college education. The teachers of the law said Jesus was blaspheming. The Pharisees rebuked Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees said Jesus acted unlawfully on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the Herodians began to plot to kill Jesus. The Jesus' family tried to stop him and said he was out of his mind. The teachers of the law said Jesus was possessed by Satan. You getting the theme? We're only to chapter 3. Let's continue. After calming the storm, Jesus asked his disciples if they still had faith. People in Jesus' hometown lack faith. The disciples' hearts were hardened after Jesus walked on water, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law accused Jesus of teaching his disciples to be ceremonially unclean. All the way up to this point, Mark has been developing this theme that it's not what you expect. The kingdom of God is upside down. And the people you expect to get it and follow are the very ones who are rejecting him and misinterpreting him. They misunderstand, they mistrust him. It's the ones on the outside. It's the outcasts. It's the ones you don't even pay attention to. They're the ones who get it. They see the scope of the kingdom of God. They declare faith. 
This is all upside down. It's not what we would expect. So, Paul, uh, so Mark has developed the theme all the way up to chapter 7, and what he will do is continue it until the cross. And so I just want you to see how this theme foreshadow where it's going. So in chapter 8, we're going to see Jesus for the first time publicly with his disciples predict and tell them that he is going to Jerusalem, he will be killed by the religious leaders, but he will come back from the dead. At that point, Peter takes him aside and says, no, that's not the way this is going to go. Check, check out how Mark records that part. Mark took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know who else has rebuked Jesus up to this point? We just saw that. Pharisees, religious leaders, people who thought they had it all figured out. And so Mark here puts Peter in a particular category by pulling that word and ascribing it to Mark. Mark Peter thinks he's got Jesus so figured out that he rebukes him when he declares that he's going to die but come back to life. So, so the person you would expect to get Jesus, Peter, someone that has been walking with him for a long time, he misses it. And you remember what Jesus says to Peter right after this, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, you don't want to be called Satan by Jesus. And that's what, that's what happens here. Because Peter doesn't have the mind of God as he rebukes Jesus. So if we fast forward a few more chapters, we're right up, we're right up to the last evening. We're right at that last supper. We're, we're getting to where Jesus is soon to be crucified. And Mark is going to tell us a story about a woman, a poor woman, a poor woman who brings very expensive perfume, and she breaks a jar of this perfume, and she anoints Jesus with the perfume. Her, the disciples rebuke her. And they say, do you, know that we could have, do you know that we could have spent all the money used for this perfume? We could have spent it on the poor? And then Jesus says, You're, the poor you will always have with us. Uh, but this woman's done something very special. I want you to note, I want you to note what Mark says here about this woman, an unnamed poor woman. Check it out, Mark chapter 14. I just want you to see this. He tells his disciples, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the first time Mark records anyone understanding that Jesus has to die. The first time. No Pharisee, no religious leader, no family member, no disciple has ever ever declared in Mark's gospel, they understand Jesus has to die. And here we see a poor, unnamed woman, uneducated, dirty, probably considered a dog. She, of all people, gets it. She prepares him for his burial. The first person we know about that gets the fact that Jesus has to go to the cross. Now, that's someone you don't expect. That's, I, I don't expect her. Then Jesus dies on the cross. He's there hanging. Many people are leaving his side. What kind of king is this, right? What king gets crucified? That's not any king I'm following. 
then Mark puts, puts in his account the words of one person right after the crucifixion who declares faith in Jesus, declares a truth about Jesus that no one else has yet declared, and it comes right after his death, the very thing that no one else can understand. You know who that is? It's that Roman centurion. In Mark chapter 15, he records it this way, when the centurion, the centurion who just oversaw the crucifixion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the Son of God. You know who I want declaring faith in Jesus right after the crucifixion? I want a disciple. I want a religious leader. I want someone who has studied their Bible. I would never expect these words coming from the mouth of a Roman soldier. This makes no sense. Yet Mark, over and over again, is developing a theme that it is the unexpected people who understand Jesus. And here in this story of a woman, a Syrian woman born in Phoenicia, a woman born outside the Jewish nation, living on the outskirts of Palestine, considered a dog by many, she comes and Jesus declares she has great faith. That is upside down. That is unexpected. And so I think that all has some application for us. I think that story, that unexpected story, has application for me and you. Here's, here's where I want to start our journey into some application. God still shows up in unexpected places and people. I still think he's showing up in unexpected places and people. Now, let me get that on the ground, because that's a bit general. Sounds really good, I know, I wrote that. But still a little general. This is what I mean when I say that. God shows up in day-to-day interruptions. You know what those are? Uh-huh. He shows up in conversations with annoying people. You know what those are? Don't look. Don't look to your right or left. Just stay, <laughs> just stay with me. And he shows up in a cancer diagnosis. He can show up and teach us something when we get cut off in the grocery line or frustrated with our boss at work. Those are unexpected places. So this week, after I wrote that sentence, I'm not kidding you, I'm at the bank, and there's a line, and a woman comes up, we'll just call it a person, it doesn't have to be a man or woman, it's just a person comes up behind me, notices the person in front of me. Person in front of me starts having a conversation with person behind me. It's a bit socially awkward, but we'll, I'm going to go with this. Then person in front of me says, yeah, just come, come stand with me. And I think, ah, uh, I, sometimes I do that. You know, you're with somebody, and you're kind of there together, and it's not like they're going to take up an extra lane. They're just wanting to, you know, they had to go get something out of the car. And so we're okay. Then woman behind me, now in front of me, goes to an open teller while woman that was already in front of me is at another teller. And I realize they just cut in line. (laughs) And I was frustrated. And I have enough of a dominant personality. I'm thinking, how do I work this? But I know everyone in this town is related, so I've got to be careful (laughs) not to say anything that's too offensive because I'll probably meet them again. Or there may be your sister, I don't know, or brother. Again, it could be a man or a woman, right? Um, so, 
So literally, I'm j- I've just written this earlier in the day, and I think, I think, oh my, here's the cutting in line. Here's the cutting in line. And I knew the Holy Spirit wanted to give me an illustration that I could share with you. And so I thought in that moment where my heart's beating a little fast because I can't believe this just happened. I'm thinking, okay, God, what are you teaching here? Because this is very unexpected. What can I learn? You know what I learned? I probably got other things I could learn. I learned in the end it wasn't that big of a deal. I lost a minute and a half of my life. That's how much I lost. You know, I waste that on my phone every day. I don't need, I don't need to worry about getting cut, in, cut, cut off in line. But I thought, these are, these, these are the moments where I would never expect God to show up. And yet in that moment, I did a little training in patience. And that was good for me. And it'll work its way out in different situations as I go along as a follower of Jesus, as I walk in the way of Christ. Well, I imagine some of this training will come in, come in handy. But just think of all those moments where these unexpected interruptions or annoying conversations or serious diagnoses happen. You know God can show up there just like he showed up in Tyre with a non-Jewish woman that many people considered a dog. He can show up in a bank line when you get cut off in line. He can show up there in unexpected places. You know, there's a danger in all this, though. So I just want to make sure we're very clear about what the danger is. The danger is misunderstanding and mistrusting. We're we're, We're most in danger of misunderstanding and mistrusting God when we think we have him all figured out. That's typically when we get most in trouble. We are at danger of mistrust and misunderstanding when we think we got them figured out. And typically we think we haven't figured out, we think we figured out until something bad happens. And then all of a sudden we got to rearrange the furniture in our mind to understand why this is happening. And sometimes one of our biggest problems is is the fact that we thought we had them figured out. And I'm just going to tell you, we don't have them figured out. Let me just put this on the ground for you. I want to share with you something that really, really would get under my skin if it was true. I just want you to see, for me, how this might play out on a larger scale. So this isn't, we're not at the bank at this point. We're kind of going to go 30,000 feet up. You know, God came to a young woman in the middle of nowhere to send his son. Mary was a nobody. That made no sense to anybody. Some shepherds understood, but that's about it. If God was going to redo the incarnation, if we were going to get Christmas and do a redo, and he was going to send his son into the world again, I would expect him to send him to a nice home somewhere in suburbia, somewhere in middle-class America, and go to a pretty good-looking church and, and then, you know, make his way, make his way up in society, and then we'd all recognize him and worship him. That's typically how I think these things would work. Because that's typically the people I respect. But if you told me that God had sent his son to a poor, unmarried young girl in Pakistan, I'd say, no way. Give me another God. Because I don't think anything good is coming from there. 
Now, you might think, what in the world has our preacher just done? Did he just, did he just declare something racist from the stage? Yeah, probably. I'm just telling you, I don't even recognize all the ways I think I have God figured out. But if you told me something good is coming out of a poor area of Pakistan, or you told me that God came to a young woman as a member of ISIS, I'd say, no way. There's no way that's happening. That's not how God works. Can you imagine if you heard God had sent his son to a woman in the middle of a city controlled by the Taliban? You'd be looking to send a bomb before you sent a worshiper. Now, I'm not saying you would. I'm just projecting now my own feelings. I want us to understand how crazy what God did by sending his son the way he did and then just take that crazy and spin it out for the rest of the life of Jesus. Along the way, there were all of these moments that were unexpected. And I'm just telling you that when I consider how crazy God acts, I'd really struggle if you put it in modern-day terms. Because honestly, does it really affect me to tell me that God sent a son to a poor young woman in the, in, in the middle of nowhere in Palestine? No, that's like 2,000 years ago. I got no affection for that. There's no emotion tied to that. You start talking about ISIS, Taliban, Pakistan, now you're starting to get my blood going. And that's exactly what God does, is he meets us in the unexpected. He meets us there. But my, we have to have eyes to see it. So I want us, I want us to understand how crazy the story you just read was. No one would have expected what you and I just read about this woman. And I believe God's still showing up in places you would never expect him to show up. In your life. Even in a bank line. Even in an annoying conversation. So let me just pull now this next step for us. Next step is this. Look for God in the unexpected. Look for God in the unexpected. That's going to be your next step this week. So when you get frustrated... This week, you can think, God might be here, right? Or when your boss annoys you, that's when you might say, God might be here. Or when you wake up and your body hurts so much, you can't get up because of the pain. That's typically not the place you're saying, thank you, God. But it just might be where God's meeting you. Maybe, maybe. So this is next week. But you guys just went through a week, right? <laughs> I don't know how, what else you might have done, but you just had a week. So what I want to do is I want to practice this next step. And I want us to walk together. And I want us to consider, maybe look for where God was in the unexpected last week. So you can close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. You can keep them open. I just want you just to kind of now go with me back to a week you just had and I want you to reflect with me if you would I want you to think about that frustrating conversation you had maybe it was a moment where you were just really sad and you wanted to be alone Maybe you were just really tired 
Do you remember what you felt like in that moment? Maybe you need to picture the person that you're thinking about right now and the way that argument felt. Or when you came home from work and you were exhausted and you didn't want to be around anybody. Just think of how you felt there. Now consider with your imagination maybe some things you couldn't see. Was there any way, any way that God was there with you? Did God teach you anything about that moment? Could you learn anything about who God is by that conversation? or that need to be alone. Now, as we finish reflecting, imagine yourself wherever you are saying in that moment, God, you are here. You can open your eyes. I hope that maybe just maybe, you were able to see where God was or could have been when you least expected it. And I want you to take that exercise with you into the week and think about in that moment that God is there and let him teach you something, even in the unexpected. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that has been recorded with intelligence, put together with intentionality so that we could see things. And we notice this morning that you show up where we least expect you. So this week, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the unexpected. Maybe it's the person who frustrates us. Maybe it's the person who cuts line. Maybe it's a friend who hurts us. You are moving in places we do not expect you to be. So would you open our eyes to see you there so that we may draw closer to your son Jesus. And there we will have life. We're going to need your help on this one. So be merciful. Give us a lot of grace. We're going to need it. And may we look a little bit more like your son on the inside because we are practicing kingdom living with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to need you there. We thank you for all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is, yes, king. He is savior. And he is a brilliant teacher. Under his authority, we say.